the Spot Track Podcast, talking sports contracts, the salary cap, and business of sports. Good morning and welcome to a Thursday edition of the Spot Track Podcast. My name is Mike Trinetti. We're going to talk a little football, a little baseball. It's getting a little better in baseball, a little bit, a little bit more animated, a little bit more action. Uh, one of the big pitchers has fallen in terms of the free agent signings. We'll get that, get to that. And of course, there's a Mets ties to it, so we'll uh, we'll go down that path a little bit. But let's let's start with in the NFL. A uh, couple of uh, hot numbers to talk about. We uh, we like to deal with numbers here at Spot Track, and the uh, research and development guru Scott Allen put together a few pretty interesting points that to uh, speak to here today. Let's start with kickers, as most radio shows do, right? Let's start with kickers. It's been kind of a comedy of errors the past three seasons with kickers to a fault. I mean, <laughs> one bad game and you're pretty much walking. So we, we wanted to track just how much that's happening because it seems to be every week that we're talking about one or two kickers who are getting their, their walking papers. Um, so many teams are operating with a revolving door right now, which I guess it's understandable, right? The analytics bear out. If you're not making extra points at 35 yards, um, you know, and your average over 50 isn't great. Teams are starting to look for, you know, you know, starting to go for it more in fourth down anyway. The analytics are driving that conversation anyway. So kickers are becoming less and less impactful and necessary. So, of course, there, there's going to be a revolving door. Where it's, the, it's the steroid version of the running back situation right now. It's next man up. So just how much? What's the number of kickers that have started an NFL game this year? It's 40, okay? It's 40, which is more than one per team, obviously. Um, it's going to be 41 soon. I believe that the Indianapolis Colts are going to have to bench Adam Vinatieri, possibly outright release Adam Vinatieri this week. He's injured. He's been bad. Um, father time is catching up there. So I, I imagine that the, the waiver claim of Chase McLaughlin means he's going to be the starter this week, which will bring the number to 41, um, which is about where it's been the last couple of years for total seasons. 2018 was 42 kickers. 2017 was 43. 2016 was 37. So there's been a sharp increase over the past three seasons. And if we're on pace here, you know, in week 13, heading into week 14, we're going to have close to 50 kickers in 2019, uh, which isn't great. That's, that's a tough job right now. That is a tough job. You've got to be 100% on your game, 100% accurate, or you are questionable. And to give some some merit to that, not only was Chase McLaughlin claimed by the Colts, the Patriots and Bills tried to claim him. So, so there's plenty of teams in disarray right now. And look, that's not going away. Like I said, the trends are shifting elsewhere, away from field goals, number one, because of the inconsistency of the kickers, and number two, because the analytics bear out to go for it more and more often. So uh, tough position to be in, but right now that number is 40. I think it's going to be 41. And let's piggyback this onto a different conversation, but similar. It's been the year of the backup quarterback. Just how many backup, just how many quarterbacks have there been starting a game in 2019? That number is 53, which is a big number. I mean, you're you're talking, you know, uh, almost half the t- half the league has used at least a second quarterback, and there have been five teams that have used three. The Broncos, the Lions, the Jets, the Steelers, and the Redskins have used three starting quarterbacks this year. I don't think we're done there either. 
We know that the Giants are going back to Eli this week for injury purposes of Daniel Jones. There's rumblings in, in L.A. that the Chargers might maybe sitting Phillip Rivers down, which would mean Tyrod Taylor joins the fold. We know Nick Foles is, uh, is back on the bench in Jacksonville. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I mean, spin around the league. A lot, of, a lot of the healthy quarterbacks are the run-pass guys. And we all know they're one, uh, one hit away from being on the bench. So it's been a lot to deal with, for sure. 53 quarterbacks started in, in 2019 so far. Um, and that number is big. That's the highest number we have over the past four or five seasons based on our metrics. So um, look at, we've been talking about it all year. Many of us have been talking about it. Uh, it it's becoming more and more vital to have a, a legitimate backup quarterback. And it's going to mean paying somebody, right? If you don't have a rookie sort of in the waning, like a Gardner Minshew, right? Um, or in Pittsburgh's case, you know, the Devlin Hodges those of the world who can be viable you know, placeholders for a couple of weeks while your starters gets healthy. Um, if you don't have that right now and you're a contender, you're doing it wrong. You're doing it wrong. We've seen it in, in Philly. We've seen it in, in a lot of these teams recently. Um, you got to have an option and you got to be able to pay an option. There's the going rate for a veteran backup quarterback, not named Eli Manning or Nick Foles right now, or Marcus Mariota. Um, it's about six, seven million. That's where your Chase Daniel and your Chad Hennies and those players that have been in the league a while, they're certainly not good enough to be full-time starters, but th that's where those guys live right now. So if the cap goes up $10 million next year, you're going to be talking about $7, $7.5 million for a viable veteran quarterback. That's where Blake Bortles lives on the Rams roster right now. So that's about what, what, what it's going to take. I think a lot of teams will say, you know, <laughs> let's go the Steelers route and then the Lions route and bring in somebody at a million dollars or bring in a – a fifth rounder who we really like, who can take a whole summer to learn our system. And if we need him for three weeks, he's going to be viable. Uh, there's ways to do it for sure, but you better have somebody. And in a lot of cases, look, five teams is, that's a lot to have used three quarterbacks this year. Um, and, it, and it's possible that that number increases over the next four weeks. So um, you better have two. You might want to have three. You might want to have a, at least a practice squad player that you really like as well, because, it's getting to that point where they're doing, the league is doing everything they can to protect these quarterbacks. It's just not enough. That's the nature of the beast right now. So you better have two. Some of you, some of you better have three and look, <laughs> you know, the conversation is run past right now, right? It's this Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, Mitch Trubisky, Patrick Mahomes, Deshaun Watson, uh, you know, a, a good quarter, maybe a little, maybe a third of the league right now is operating on a quarterback that moves around a lot. So if that's the case, and if that's going to continue to grow, then it's all the more reason to have a viable number two and a, and a decent number three option in your wheelhouse. So something to watch as, as these teams build out over 2020, because it's going to get there. It's going to get there. We're going to have another quarterback carousel, right? We've talked about the the free agents that are going to be available, the, the, the four or five guys who are potential first-round picks in the draft. Um, so it, there's going to be a lot of movement in the quarterback position. And I think, uh, you know, for, for players that are on the way out, you know, does Andy Dalton have a starting spot next year? I'm not sure. But, boy, you know, a, a contending team should be strongly considering paying him a healthy backup price because that's, that's a viable backup right there if he can't find a starting job. Same with Teddy Bridgewater. Um, Cam Newton, I think, probably finds himself a starting role somewhere. If not, same deal. You pay him good money to sit on your bench and, and be that, 
you know, you, you know, that backup mentor to, you know, Lamar Jackson, for instance. We'll see. A lot, lot of movement coming, but this is certainly something that's not going away. 53 quarterbacks have been, have been started this year. 40 kickers have been started this year. They're big numbers. Let's, let's go to one final number here, 42. All right. 42 is the answer to what might be wrong with Tom Brady. All right. We're, we're seeing this all over the Internet, all over Twitter, all over the TV right now. Uh, and look at we, we've seen we said this every year for three, four years. And every year they've turned it around and been viable contenders or Super Bowl winners or runner up. That's just the nature of the Patriots right now. And that's how Tom Brady's operated the, the backside of his career. He's 42 years old. Okay. So it's okay that he doesn't look the same. It's okay that he's not throwing the ball downfield. The Patriots are having to live with that. They knew what they were getting into. I mean, the, he wasn't declining, you know, behind the scenes in hidden, in hidden, <laughs> you know, they've seen this at practice. They know what's been happening with him. Uh, the big question in New England for me is why aren't there, isn't there a running back on that roster that can pick him up? I mean, they, they spent a first round pick on Sony Michelle. Okay. I understand James Devlin's out. That's a big role. I understand they've been banged up a little bit. Burkhead missed a bunch of games. I, I, Burkhead and, and Sony Michelle are, are two good enough players to be able to handle a running back load in New England right now. I know the offensive line isn't great. I said this in the preseason that I was worried about this offensive line in comparison to other New England offensive lines. I just didn't think they had done enough to prepare for a 42-year-old Tom Brady in a running game that hadn't just hadn't shown anything to this point. And it still hasn't. And it's been worse. I think the running game has been worse in 2019 than it's been over the past couple of years in a year when they clearly needed it more than ever. Because Brady doesn't have the weapons. There's no Gronk there to bail him out on, on those 10 to 12-yard routes that just don't seem to be available right now for him. Um, and he's not going downfield to, to Mohamed Sanu. He's not going downfield to Philip Dorsett anymore. Those, those passes just appear to be done. And there's nothing wrong with that because of 42. He's 42 years old. Uh, we have to be okay with him as a game manager. We just have to be. We have to be able to evolve as his career has evolved because that's just where we are. And I'm saying this from Buffalo. You know, a place where, where, you know, there are neighbors around me who despise this, this man as a human being. And I get it. You know, he has, he has destroyed the AFC East for a lot of years here, 20 years. Um, and that's it. He's 42. He's managing the game as best as he can. He's got no run game to go with it. And the, and the Patriots offense is stale. And it's, it's stale. That's what it is. And I imagine that the conversation they're having right now is not Tom Brady, fix yourself. And, you know, not... We need to go out and get Antonio Brown, although I can understand people saying that right now. I think the conversation has to be, how do we, how do we run the freaking ball, <laughs> right? How do we take 60% of the offense away from Tom Brady right now and put it on the run game and then open up that, that passing game for Tom Brady in, in the limited system that we can give him right now? Uh, so I'm not panicking about New England. Like, uh, we've, we've been burned too, too many times on this. They turn it around the backside of this seasons and get themselves ready for the playoffs. The problem is Baltimore's pretty good, you know? I, I, don't, I don't know if New England has the firepower to get past Baltimore or even Houston in the playoffs, let alone Buffalo. So this could be the year. I'm not going to say it's the year. I'm not going to say the Patriots are dead. I'm not going to say Tom Brady's dead. Tom Brady's just 42. That's the answer. That's the answer I want to give to that. Uh, let's get to a very important topic that I have failed to mention, and that's on me. And uh, we're going to get to it right now and get it out there and start this conversation going 
And I want to give a hat tip to Joe Corey, the uh, NFL former NFL agent and uh, just an excellent salary cap expert on Twitter. If you're uh, not following Joe, please do that. Uh, hat tip to him for the reminder on this. 2020 is a very important year for the NFL. It is the final year of the current CBA. And in the final year of the CBA, there's a very different situation in terms of how dead cap works. So leading up to this, we've been talking about pre-June, pre-June 1st, post-June 1st when, in terms of dead cap. For if you trade a player, if you cut a player, and it's after June 1st, or you designate it to be a post-June 1st, it means you can split that dead cap up. You take on the, the, the current year's dead cap now, and any future dead cap in terms of the bonus allocation can go into the, sec, the, the next season. Um, and we've been operating as if that's the case. That is not the case for 2020. Because it's the final year of the CBA, they don't want to push anything into 2021 that may not exist or, or rules may have changed because of the new CBA. So in the final year, next offseason, 2020, all dead cap will be considered pre-June 1st. So, for instance, let me give you a clarion example of how this is, going to, this is going to make an impact. Nick Foles has $33.8 million of dead cap right now in 2020. There's no way for Jacksonville to split that up because it's the final year of the CBA, which means if they want to move on from him, and by moving on I mean releasing, because I don't think he's tradable right now in that contract, if they think they can release Nick Foles, it means they're taking on $33.8 million of dead cap to do it. In other words, that dream is dead, <laughs> okay? They are not releasing Nick Foles. He's going to be a high-paid backup next year. That's just a fact. Um, there's no reason to even consider it at this point. That's, that's the reality of it based on the 2020 situation. Similar situation with Brandon Cooks in the, on, on the Rams. The Rams are in a bit of cap hell right now because of these four or five impactful contracts they've signed, and they're not winning. They're not a playoff team. So, you know, many of us that sit around here thinking they should just blow it all up and get back to square one, uh, a lot of us thought Brandon Cooks was going to be the player to fall off this roster to sort of get them back into some, into some cap flexibility and make a couple of moves here or be able to sign Jalen Ramsey, for instance. If they're going to do that, it means they're taking on $22 million of, de- of dead cap. All right? There's no more spreading that out over two years because of 2020. So it's questionable now. Now, maybe Brandon Cooks is tradable. He's been injured a lot. He, he's just not a – he's a Jarvis Landry-type player where the, even the production that he has is sort of loose. It's, it's sort of false, right, because they're, they're not touchdowns. Okay? He's not a big red zone threat. So I, I worry about guys like this getting high-impact salaries, you know, between him and, him and Jarvis Landry, for instance – I worry about how other teams look at those players, and certainly on, on the cap hits that he, he holds, I'm not sure it's a tradable contract. So more bad news for the Rams. I don't think it makes financial sense to get out of Brandon Cooks. Now, it might. It might. I mean, if they, if they think that they're punting on 2020, if they think they're just going to you know, run, run Todd Gurley out there 40% of the time, hope Jared Goff can turn things around, you know, maybe they have to move on from Robert Woods then to, to – give themselves some cap flexibility and bring in a couple more options. Uh, but I don't think Brandon Cooks is going to be the answer right now. And then one more example. We've talked a little bit about the Lions trading Matthew Stafford. It just seems like things have run stale there. Uh, maybe there's greener grass for him. Like I said, I like him in the Chargers uniform. People have mentioned Dallas with Matthew Stafford. That's fine, and it's doable, but it means Detroit is keeping $20 million of dead cap on their 2020 table. All right, that's how much bonus allocation remains on that contract next year. 
and it would accelerate to 2020. So <laughs> you'd be saving money. I mean, you'd be saving cap to do it, to trade him still. So I still think it's, a, it's, a, it's an option, but just be aware that that wouldn't be a split. You wouldn't be able to split that $10 million in, into year one and year two. You're taking all 20 in 2020, which is fine. Um, but start to think about, you know, moves that, that might be made in a different light because 2020 is a different process. And this could be the norm. Right? They may change the post-June 1st designation 100% in the new CBA. I haven't heard about that happening. I, I don't think it makes sense to do it. I think teams like the, the flexibility of being able to release a guy early and take things on or waiting a little bit into the summer. I think there's it sort of gives them a double off season, essentially, right? They can do a, a lot of their damage in March, hold off through the draft and see what happens there. And then after the draft, they can sort of react to it. Um, we'll see. But they're, certainly for 2020, because it's the last year of the CBA, all bets are off. All right. All the dead cap will accelerate into 2020 for whatever trade or release is made. So keep that in mind. We'll keep hammering on that, especially with specific examples of roster bubble players as they come up. But look at the, the reality is because of this caveat. And again, thank you to Joel Corey for pointing this out because of this caveat, these big gigantic things, these hot takes we're having probably aren't going to bear out. I mean, you're probably not going to, you're certainly not going to see Nick Foles released. I can't imagine any team would take $33.8 million of dead cap on, their, on, on one year to let a guy walk away. That makes no sense. Okay, you pay the guy. You hope he can, you know, maybe an offseason can put him back into the starter's role. If not, you're just paying a backup quarterback at that point, and that's fine. Okay? Uh, you got to live with it. You got to live with the contract you signed. Um, but I don't think we're going to see these big, you know, these big moves that maybe we're talking about now or hoping for or anticipating, uh, I, I think 2020 might be tempered because of this caveat, because of the dead cap acceleration. And conversely, players that do need contracts, you're going to see them be tempered as well, right? You're not going to see players, many, the majority of players go too deep into a, an unknown CBA. So you're going to see a lot of one-year deals. Impactful, I think you're going to see higher one-year deals because they'll be shorter, uh, maybe maybe one-year deals with options built in, right, just in case. Uh, maybe that's how you can get a, a team to agree to a little bit more money if, if you throw a couple options in, and then, you know, hopefully you don't kill yourself too much, too much with whatever the new CBA brings us. Uh, just to talk about the CBA briefly, I, I just don't think we're going to see major impactful changes. So a lot of this should be for not, um, but you, you got to protect yourself one way or another. Teams have to protect themselves, and these players signing new contracts should certainly protect themselves. I just don't anticipate sweeping changes. I don't think the franchise tag is going away. It's possible the transition tag goes away. Seems a little bit useful, useless at this point. It's possible the franchise tag gets increased in value. Okay? I mean, it's possible that we see higher salaries on the franchise tag in order to make players, you know, sign them. I think, I, think, I think the goal is for players to sign the franchise tag. Now, I think the original goal of the tag was to be a placeholder in lieu of a multi-year contract. Uh, that's certainly not the case anymore, okay? Teams can say that's what they're doing, but for the most part, they're doing it because James Winston's getting a franchise tag not because they want to sign him to a five-year deal. It's because they don't want to sign him to a five-year deal, okay? And, and more often than not, that's been the case with the use of the franchise tag. So if that's going to be the case, then it should be a better percentage of the cap because the cap is growing 
a, a ton, and I don't think that's stopping. So we'll see. Uh, but just just something to throw out there. I don't I don't think sweeping changes are coming in the CBA. I think there will be, you know, some some solid. I, I sure hope the compensatory draft picks go away. I, again, I don't think so because that's that's a uh, that's something the owners would have to give into, and I don't see them doing too much of that right <laughs> right now. To be honest, um, it's a it's an owners' league still, very uh, very different from what we're seeing in the NBA and a lot of the moves that are being made there. So we'll see. We'll see. I'm excited to see what does come up come from it, um, but I'm not too hopeful that major sweeping changes are coming. Uh, we'll see. Outside of that, I wanted to do a little bit of a recap of the NFL free agents, just just going back and looking, uh, but I'm going to hold off on that. I think I'm going to do that in a bigger show, maybe with our, with Kevin and Paul in, in the fold, and uh, we'll have some fun sort of, you know, stock up, stock down, who was a bust, who was a boom. It wasn't too bad of an offseason from, from the research I've done. Certainly Nick Foles is, <laughs> is a struggling contract already. Um, and there's a few of those for sure. But I don't think it was too bad. And uh, the reason I, I want to do that versus looking forward is the point I made earlier, which is I'm, I'm a little concerned that this is going to be a pretty boring offseason because of this whole dead cap acceleration. Yes, teams have dead cap, and you're going to have some teams be aggressive. But I, I, I worry that the big splashy stuff isn't going to be here. We'll see. There's plenty of quarterbacks to be signed, so uh, you know that always drives conversation. But I'm a little worried that 2020 might be a little bit tempered. Today's Patrick podcast is brought to you by The Athletic, a subscription-based sports news site delivering in-depth sports coverage for real fans. Get detailed coverage of every trade, every free agent signing, and storyline on your team, as well as the expert analysis from Ken Rosenthal, Michael Lombardi, Pierre Lebrun, all the big guys and gals, plus deep insights from analytic gurus and former team executives like John Hollinger and Seth Partnow. Join today, the Cyber Week special, still going on, 66% off your yearly subscription by going to theathletic.com slash cyberweek. Again, that's theathletic.com slash cyberweek. MLB free agent hot stove. There's a lot of rumors coming now. The pitchers are starting to move around a little bit. Um... Steven Strasburg, Garrett Cole, both in New York for meetings. Uh, Strasburg's doing a lot of things away from Washington, D.C., and I think that's scaring a lot of Nats fans, which is understandable because I think it was sort of a slam dunk that they were going to lose Anthony Rendon and keep and keep uh, Steven Strasburg. But Strasburg is certainly making his rounds, and you understand his, his agent, Scott Boris, doing this. Um, Strasburg is probably the leverage point for Garrett Cole right now. Right, so you put the two of them together out on a little, a little tour, a little visiting tour, for, for to the big boys, the Dodgers and the Angels and the, the uh, Phillies, and the Yankees, and you let all these teams meet with these players and fall in love with them and make their offers, and then you know Garrett Cole now has a forty million dollar offer in hand, you know at some point possibly, we'll see. One player who sort of did his dirty work quickly was Zach Wheeler. We know he was made a, a sizable offer from the White Sox, who are clearly trying to build up finally. Uh, he turned it down. It sounds like he turned down more money from the White Sox to join the Phillies on five years, $118 million, uh, $23.6 million. It's, it's, a, it's slightly north of the valuation we gave him, 
Um, and simply because this guy's got injury history, okay? He's 30 years old, injury history. He's had two great years with the Mets. He's been outstanding. He's been underrated with the Mets the past two years, and he has held up. He's been durable. So you can understand a team taking a risk on him, but this is maybe not the right team to take that risk. And let me explain why. They did this already with Jake Arrieta two years ago. All right, Jake Arrieta was the, such a similar player to Zach Wheeler right now. Uh, injury history, sort of an up-and-down, inconsistent career to, to, to date, certainly starting with Baltimore, um, had a couple good years in the Cubs. It just feels like this is the exact same situation that the Phillies have gotten themselves into. Now, Arietta has not worked out. is getting $25 million a year. So they're paying less for Wheeler, slightly less for Wheeler, uh, but it just feels like the same situation. Uh, they need this one to work because their pitching staff is, is a bit of a mess right now. And, oh, by the way, they gave Bryce Harper $330 million. So this is a team that certainly needs to win. And they're banking on the fact that by signing Zach Wheeler, they can make the Mets worse. And they're hoping that, you know, the Nationals can't get back into the form they were last year if they, by losing Rendon and possibly losing Strasburg as well. Uh, so this, they, they clearly think that they're in a window where they can push. Uh, I just, I, <laughs> big, I'm a big Zach Wheeler guy. I've, I've enjoyed the heck out of watching him 30 times a year for the past two seasons in New York. Um, there's a reason the Mets didn't even try to make this, this offer. There's a reason. Uh, certainly the Mets had other options and they didn't feel they needed to pay, pay a pitcher hundred million dollars right now, but he's been very good for them. And the fact that he's walking without ba- with basically not a contract offer from the Mets has to make you feel like they are concerned about his future as well. So for his sake, sake I certainly hope it works out. And, he, you know, he remains this solid, durable pitcher that he's been for two years. But it is risky. High ceiling, high risk, though, for, for the Philadelphia. $118 million fully guaranteed. Uh, no trade clause. So, you know, the, the Philly can move him if, if they need to. But like I said, they did this two years ago with Arietta. Arietta's got three years left on his deal. And now you've got five more locked in for Wheeler. Uh, they better get this one right because otherwise they're going to have a mess of a pitching staff and a lot of money spent on the, on the position players. All right, one more deal. A nice one. I really like this one a lot. Mike Moustakis, who has been tossed around a little bit, went back to uh, Milwaukee last year on $7 million, uh, which was – ridiculously low. I think we had him at, at at least 18 million a year just from a valuation standpoint. So he took a, a prove it deal, a show me deal and uh, ended up playing some second base for them last year. Well, that worked out because the Cincinnati Reds gave him four years and $64 million and he's going to be their second baseman because they're good at third. They're good at first. Uh, and if you look at this depth chart a little bit, they've got a nice little team being put together here. There's probably, they're probably another outfielder away. And I expect that move to be made in the next couple of weeks here. And they're certainly a pitcher away. But, boy, between Luis Castillo and Trevor Bauer at the top of the rotation, to go with a couple of acquisitions they made last year and a couple of more kids that they can bring up the pipeline, the pitching staff appears to be close. They're probably one pitcher away, and it's possible. I don't think they're swinging for the big fish, but it's possible one of the lower, you know, the, the, the tier two, tier three free agent pitchers out there will end up in a Reds uniform because it does appear that they're pushing. And it's not a bad time to do it. In a similar vein to the Phillies, the Cubs appear to be selling at least one or two of their pieces. I think they're going to sell their catcher in Contreras. I think they're trying to trade Chris Bryant, their third baseman. Uh, and they certainly they just DFA'd Edison Russell, the shortstop, for a variety of reasons. 
but they're, they're fluid right now, which means they probably don't love where they are. They just let Cole Hamels walk um, on a one-year $18 million contract to the Braves. So they're in a, bit of, in a bit of disarray. Now, there's still plenty of power on that team. They're, they're going to be contending for that division for sure, but it does feel like they've weakened themselves a little bit. Pittsburgh is bottoming right out. They're not even in the conversation right now. I believe they're going to sell off Sterling Marte um, and, and possibly a couple more pieces as well. The only team to really worry about if you're the Reds are the Cardinals. And the Cardinals were supposed to be weak, weakening last year, and they found themselves in the postseason. So it's the same old story with St. Louis. They appear to be the, uh, you, you know, a tempered version of the Patriots. They just, they just don't go away. You can count them out. You can fire the manager. You can get rid of the pitcher. Uh, they just seem to, to consistently be back in the conversation come August every year. I, I expect nothing different this year. I believe they're going to add a piece. Uh, Marcelo Zuna, an outfielder, free agent outfielder of theirs, probably will price himself out of St. Louis, so they're going to have to replace an outfield position. But outside of that, they're, they're solid. They're, they're going to be a, a contending team, but they're beatable. So if Cincinnati makes the right moves and pushes the right buttons right now, they're going to be a legitimate contender in that division. So I understand uh, a nice but not crazy contract for a guy like Mike Moustakis, who's just a bulldog. So he's going to go out there and play 150 games for you. Uh, we'll see if he can def- you know, tr- improve defensively at second base. He's done it a bit now, uh, but he's going to have to get better because the rest of that infield is solid. So you, you don't want to be the weak link on that right now defensively. We'll see. I, I like that move a lot. I, certainly, I'm happy for Zach Wheeler getting $118 million, but like I said, you know, I'm trying not to be biased about it as a Mets fan <laughs> and a Met, a Met player going to Philly. Uh, I, I, I worry about him. I worry about them making this move after the Arietta move. Um, I think they could have gone with more of a patchwork deal, right? Yeah. Wheeler's a heck of a pitcher. Like I said, if it works out, it's going to be impactful for that team. But why not take a flyer on bringing back Cole Hamels at one year and $18 million like the Braves just did? Cole Hamels came up the Philly system. Uh, that to me seems like the perfect move right now because it's low risk, low reward, or, uh, you know, could be p- potentially decent reward. Hamill's struggled a little bit down the stretch, but you know, he, he got, he's an old guy. He probably got tired. <laughs> you know, he probably got tired. You, you can understand that. Uh, we're probably going to see one more of those moves from Philly. Like I said, they, they need another arm. Um, so this was their big move. It's risky. There's probably a small move coming behind it. Now, don't count out Garrett Cole anywhere at this point. He appears to have fallen in love with his Yankees, this Yankee situation. It is, it is trending towards the Yankees right now, and a week ago I would have laughed this off because I was positive he was going out west to one of the big boys out west. Uh, but the Yankees appear to be courting the heck out of him, and you can understand it. It is the one thing the Yankees need is a dominant number one pitcher. It's the one thing that can put them over the edge right now. So you understand them going all in on a guy like this, and we'll see what that price would be if it ever gets to that point. But as of right now, as we sit here on Thursday, uh, they have to be the 1A contenders for, for Garrett Cole. I'd still put the Angels in the lead because of everything we've talked about. He's from there. Uh, that's a team that is going big. I expect two big uh, contracts coming from them, one of which would be Cole. But if not, the Yankees appear to be positioning themselves right there to pick it up. So we'll see what happens. I think that's moving quicker than we thought. Uh, I, I didn't expect a Garrett Cole contract to come before the new year. But if it's here, um, we'll be all over it. If it's the Yankees, we'll talk about it because 
yes, it, that is the one piece. But is it is it the Yankees of old who are just kind of throwing money at the at the uh, the biggest name out there and, and hoping it sticks, or is this a more calculated move? Is Garrett Cole the right fit for a Yankees franchise? We'll see. We'll see if it ever gets to that point. But keep an eye on that. I think that there's uh, news coming soon with Garrett Cole, and keep an eye on Steven Strasburg, who is making the rounds. I think it might be smoke and mirrors. Like I said, it's a it's a Scott Boris leveraging point right now, but. And I do expect him back in Washington at some point. It just seems silly for him to, to go somewhere else at this point, honestly. He and Max Scherzer are, are a, as good a one-two punch as there's been in baseball for the past couple of years. So why change that now? Uh, we'll see. The uh, hot stove is heating up nicely. Have a good uh, week 14 of the NFL. We, I'll be seeing Lamar Jackson live and in person for the first time here in Buffalo. That'll be a game to watch for sure. Tonight's game with Dallas, certainly something to watch because if Dallas loses this one, look out. It's all going to be downhill from here. You've got uh, you know, three, three players at least who need contracts that we've been talking about all season long that will become major question marks. Where does Amari Cooper go? Where does Dak Prescott go? And where does the cornerback Byron Jones end up? Three notable potential free agents for 2020. We'll see. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Spot Track Podcast. My name is Mike Giannetti. Give us a rating on Apple or Spotify or Google, wherever you listen. We're all over the place. And we'll be back on Monday with another episode. Bye.